Welcome to the Pursuit of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Clint Murphy. My goal is for each of us to grow personally, professionally, and financially one conversation at a time. To do that, we will have conversations with subject matter experts across a variety of modalities. My job as your host will be to dig out those golden nuggets of wisdom that will facilitate our growth. Join me on this pursuit. Today I talk with Vladya Gusak about mindset, goal setting, habits for success, and more. Vladya is the president of a real estate development company and a close friend. Over the past five years, we've had many great conversations about life, money, business, and success, and thought we should record this. So we did. Enjoy. Vladya, welcome to The Pursuit of Learning. This is a special episode. We haven't had a live recording since episode one. And being episode 50, I wanted to have a friend on with a similar mindset, someone who's experienced a lot of growth in life and achieved a lot of great things, and have a conversation about what's got you here. And a bit of a back and forth today, a bit of a different type of episode. Where I'd love to start with you is we had a great conversation on reading. And it's one of the areas we connected on early in our journey. So I want to understand for you, what drove your love of reading? And how would you say that reading has influenced your life? Hi, Clint. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a lot of fun having chats with you. Typically, it's over a run, sometimes a miserable cold weather or dark run. This is a lot more pleasant being here in a studio with you. So thanks for having me. And what a wonderful uh, question to kick things off. I have this belief that five years from today, we're the exact same person we are, except for the books you read and the people you meet. So the power of reading and the power of networking are the two most uh, influential forces that are dictating how, how we can define our lives and what we can do with our lives. So reading as a concept it came to me a bit later. I was not a reader when I was a kid. I, I focused on academics when I needed it, but I never really enjoyed it. It wasn't really my thing. And it was only after I've completed my CA education, that's similar to yourself, that felt like there was a bit of a void and I wanted to find, I was like, is this, is, is this it? Is, this, is there more to it? So uh, I leaned a little bit into self-help books and uh, maybe I started with some audio recordings on YouTube later morphing more and more into diverse set of books. And uh, before you know it, my life started changing dramatically for the better. Not that it was bad before. It's just that I could feel like the, the impact, the power of having a conversation with somebody so much further ahead or smarter than me um, through their books where they put in years uh, of effort into distilling information for the taking. It's sort of the best time invested or dollar invested uh, return on your investment that I can possibly imagine is probably buying a book and reading it. And so you highlighted something there, and I've heard you say that before, is that when you're reading a book, you're taking years of work from someone else in digesting the best of those years of work in hours, right? Can you expand on that a little and why that premise is so important and why you also then like to not only go deep on certain authors, but be very widely read. You know, it's when I think about the effort that you put in into writing a shorter email when it's an important email to you, 
imagine how much magnified it is when you're writing a book. So there is the saying, I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time. You know, that's mm-hmm. what comes to mind. So a book is just a perfect example of that. You, you read, uh, and we're talking, obviously, fiction is a bit different. I'm, I'm focused mostly nonfiction since we're talking uh, on the podcast about pursuit of learning and personal, professional and growth. Uh, so it's not about entertainment reading. It's about reading that improves your, your life in some way. So typically, that's a non, nonfiction type of reading. And that condensation of that, that focus on putting in as much information as possible, digestible information, shortening your chapters to make sure that your book becomes a, a, a useful guide and, and an improvement to, to somebody's life. I mean, that takes years and years. One of my favorite books is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And from what I understand is, I think it took him his 25 plus year career to come up with the material that went into that book. You know, for 25 years of work that somebody put and then distilled it into one book, can you imagine how much value I'm getting instantly just by diving in? I and mean, that's how I view it. And you mentioned a book that would make my top three. And so what I'd love to know is, and we can go back and forth on this one, if you had to go back in time, so the at 20 years old, and you were going to give yourself three books that would help you get to where you are today. What would those three books be for you, and why would you choose them? Oh, that's a that's a fantastic question, Clint. And, you know, I'm not surprised that we have a similar book on the top three shelf. That's for sure. We we do share a lot in common. Then, so <laughs> it comes absolutely is no surprise to me. Of course, in order to answer that question, I have to probably say a little bit about myself and what I think were my personal weaknesses because it's very difficult. Like if you ask me a question, it's like, what would I recommend to someone else? It's very different than what I would recommend to myself. And then every single person is different. Their situation is different. So trying to tailor to an individual is what's important. And I would say that when I'm in my 20s, I mean, I, I felt like I had a full responsibility of my own life. You know, I have already lived in, in, in a variety of countries and, you know, I, left, I have already an understanding of how the life works, but I still did not take full responsibility, in my opinion, as to my own life. Uh, what I mean by that is that if, let's say, I was at university and I had a bad professor, somebody who was not a very good teacher, then I would probably, not probably, I definitely would blame them for my poor grade. And if I didn't get an A, it's probably their fault more than it was mine. So I would take half measure of responsibility, thinking that, in part, my grade is really somehow dependent on how good a, a professor I had. Looking back now, it's absolutely not the right way. And so Seven Habits makes its way, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book makes this on the list precisely because of who I was back then. And I truly hope that looking back, if I read it back then, that I would get it because it's a dense book. It's a difficult book to digest. And sometimes you really need to be in the right state of mind. This isn't just about what you need. It's about being ready to receive what you need from that mm-hmm. book. So it, it makes it on the list. I really hope that I would have gotten the maximum value out of it. More pragmatically speaking, I think I, I would recommend to myself, the book didn't exist back then too, but let's assume that it was, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mm. And I think it's because it would be, it's a no excuses book where you're taking somebody who's absolutely the most average, typical person, and he goes through this journey of becoming a somewhat of a superhuman in terms of his resilience and ability to do things that nobody else can, from ultra marathons to Navy SEAL training. I I took that was in reverse, but you know, that's the kind of book that I'd probably put right in front of myself. And from there, I bet you I would discover a slew of variety of different books and it would be no excuses left in my life to not perform to my absolute peak. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about this throughout the conversation because one of the areas I know we both want to be able to offer the listeners is how to be successfully financially while they're young. And I wrote a thread on this on Twitter recently, but one of the number one things that I think, or the number one thing I think you have to do is you have to take ownership of your own life. At the end of the day, no one came and handed you a check for a million dollars. No one's ever done that to me. Unless we win the lottery or we're trust fund babies, we are not going to have someone write that check for us. So we have to go out and get it ourselves. And so David Goggins meets that. The other one that I think might be good for you there is probably extreme ownership with Jocko Willink. 100%. So you look at those two and they tell you, all right, own your life, own your shit. You can do hard things. And so once you do hard things, David's point, if you do hard things physically, it teaches you that you can do hard things mentally. You can do hard things in your career. Is that part of where you're taking the David Goggins? Is that would have given you the ammunition to attack life in a way that you wouldn't have had without reading the book? Exactly. I, I'm, I'm focusing on mindset, Clint. That's what I'm focusing on. I'm just saying that if typically when you're a 20, unless you're a very mature 20-year-old, somehow you stumbled upon it, you were taught it earlier. I, did, I had parts of it in me. I just, I needed to uncover it. I needed somebody to point out to it. And it, it's interesting because we're talking about books, but I'll throw one more, and that's the influence of people around you. So mm. I'm gonna. There was this distinct story of where I remember going through the CA program and working through tax season, which you would relate. So for your listeners who don't know, it just means a lot of overtime. We're talking long, long days, hours. And I was in the module at the same time, and what that means is that I was actually studying while working overtime through the tax season. Doing that is not only frowned upon, but expressly prohibited by the firm administration, HR people, you name it, because they know you're probably going to fail. And with my stream of the way that I was going through it, I wanted to be done in a particular time frame. And so I remember I was at home and I was uh, studying and I could feel, you know, the pain of my eyes. My eyes were just hurting. And I thought to myself, that's it. That's my max. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm probably going to go go sleep now. And my wife was just kind of passing by as I was trying to back up. And she knew I had a lot to do. And she knew I actually probably had another two hours worth of studying to do. She goes, what you doing? I said, you know, honey, honestly, my eyes hurt. I just need a break. And she looks at me like, you know, dead stone-faced seriousness, right? And she goes, well, do you want to rest now and fail and have to have your eyes hurt again the next round? Or do you just want to plow through this and get this shit done? And, you know, this is my point. It's like between David Goggins' teaching and, and sort of my wife's, that message just registered so well. It pushed me. It's like, no, actually, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not failing this. There's no way it's happening. This is, um, I'm not doing this twice. This is going to happen. It's going to happen now. And my eyes will be fine. And what, I'm, what I was going to that with this is it's the mindset. If you believe you're tired, you're tired. If you believe you're not tired, you're not tired. And Goggins kind of embodies that with his physical endeavors as well as mental strength because you know he would say things like if you think it's minus 10 degrees outside then it's minus 10 degrees outside no matter you know if computer says it's minus 10 you think it's minus 10 it is but if you think it's you know plus 20 and sunny even though it's pitch black and dark and minus 10 then it's in your head now any normal person should receive that message and say that's crazy but he's not saying that from a pure 
physics perspective, he's saying that your mindset has so much more power over what you can and can't do. So it's in your head. And I would say that's that financial success and responsibility, taking responsibility over your life is first and foremost, making sure that your mindset, that your, your mind is set in the right frame, that you know that you can. A couple of key things you hit on in there that I want to tackle. The first is the importance of the partner that we pick in our lives. How much of an impact has your wife had on the person you've become? And how could you make this journey that you've made financially starting your own business, real estate development with your partners? How do you do that without the right partner behind you? I think it's a topic that's probably widely debated between different people and everybody will have their own opinion. I've met entrepreneurs who've had no support from their partners and I've had plenty of entrepreneurs who say I couldn't have done it without. In my case, I'd say that a large part of my entrepreneurial spirit and who I am has been defined as a team together with my wife. So it goes back pretty far, university years, where she already, I think she was attuned to uh, side hustles a lot faster than I was. I didn't quite recognize the writing on the wall that this was a, just a gold mine of an opportunity to make money. But, you know, you, you make friends and among your friends, you'll have poor friends, rich friends, you'll have, you know, hardworking friends, lazy friends, you name it, right? In the university years, we're talking young people. And in our circle, we had a, a fairly good number of wealthy friends who were not interested when they moved residences in moving their furniture or being in any way inconvenienced by the fact that they have to. So my wife saw that as an opportunity said, hey, why don't we just take some of that stuff into our little apartment? I mean, it's going to be pretty packed, but then we can list it on Craigslist and sell it. It was one of the side hustles where we made some good money off of that. We did the same thing with people who were too lazy to bring the books back into the bookstore. And we said, we'll take it off your hands, no problem. And then list that on Craigslist again. And students needed those books and you make some money off of that. And it, it, kind of these kind of side hustles continued. So I started giving birth to ideas on how else I could make money. And, and remember at that time, like you said, nobody cut me any check. I came with nothing. I had this green suitcase. I mean, back then I was dreaming of buying a computer. Different time than now. It's 20 years now, right? And back then computers were kind of a big deal. Now even our iPhones are probably, you know, a million times faster and better than the computer 100%. back then. But, you know, once you open up your mindset, like we could start seeing things. So we started combining our efforts, my, my wife and I. So she had a couple of friends who needed parking. And we were at Simon Fraser, which is like a university on the hill. And so you get up there and you really could use parking if you're driving or else you have to take a bus. Now, if you have a car, you don't want to take a bus because you just want to go there. But parking is restricted and there's only so many stalls. So how do you get a reserved stall? Every semester, there's some stalls that come up. And so I had a lot of friends who had you know, time and no money, right? And she had friends who had money and they had the need for parking. So I collected my friends and we decided to camp out overnight right in front of the ticketing office that would issue those parking passes. And all we did is, I mean, you, you keep the seat warm, but I charge for it. So before you know it, you know, I could charge somebody literally. And again, this is a long time ago, but, you know, $100 per seat was a lot of money and it was very easy work because we would just camp out, play some cards and have some fun, right? So it was those types of little side hustles that really got me into, and I never stopped thinking about how to launch a business or how to become an entrepreneur, but you have to pay your bills. So this is where you've got to face your reality. My reality was to pay your bills, you need to have a job. Now, some people say, oh my God, you know, I've seen these dropouts, Bill Gates, you name it, you know, the typical story. 
they became mega wealthy by leaving the university and therefore I don't need my education. Well, I sincerely disagree. I think that even the likes of uh, Bill Gates were probably some of the most educated people in the world because they never stopped learning. They may have stopped their formal education, but they didn't stop there. Where am I going with this? That my reality or confronting my reality was I needed a job. There's no two ways about it. And so in spite of the fact that I've also attempted to start three businesses with my wife while we're at university, we were too inexperienced. We just didn't know how, and all three went nowhere. But the itch, you know, that thought in your mind stayed. So it's in somewhat of a twist of after, you know, I completed my education, obviously going through university, post-university, post CA program, CPA for some of you US listeners. You get through that, and then a friend of mine, I get a, this fantastic job, by the way. I get into real estate industry. I'm, I'm so excited. This is, I'm, I'm at the top of my game at that stage. I'm making good money, and I'm trying to make more money, so I start marking assignments. <laughs> you know, that's a typical way of getting a, an additional side hustle. So, and then a friend of mine goes, oh, you know, you, you, you should read this book, and you're going to start a business. And I said, no, I am, I've always dreamt of starting a business, but now is just not the right time. And uh, his name is Jay. And Jay goes, no, here. And he dumps on me the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Uh, back then, it was like this massive big thing. Uh, these days, I think it's kind of gotten, Tim Ferriss became a bigger personality. But back then, this was just the beginning, the, the, the birth of it. That's right. And so in spite of my absolutely insane schedule, I actually do start a business with a partner, John. This business still existed today. And it was 2012. And we started a junk removal company. It's called Junkonomics Junk Removal. It eventually was ran into Men's Skyline Construction, which operates today and provides luxury landscaping services like hardscaping, you know, paving stones, retaining walls, uh, beautifying the outdoor uh, outside of your house. And so it's back to this mindset is that at that point in time, I was completely convinced that if I put in the right effort, it'll be okay. I just needed to be smart with my time. So I had an army of personal assistants in India (laughs) who were calling during the day when I was working at my real estate employer company, right? <laughs> and so I would be marking my assignments right after, you know, clock out from work, get home, start marking the assignments to get that side hustle going. And then you wake up, I'm usually a morning person. So at 5 a.m., I would be on my treadmill uh, downstairs doing my trying to, it wouldn't be a run because I needed to be able to talk to the India assistants because that's the only time when I had, it would be like a jog. (laughs) So (laughs) that was my start. You know, mindset is the commonality there. And my, my wife played a huge role finding that for me as to how important that mindset is that don't like it, it's in your head that you can always create opportunities if you need a job, that means you can create a side hustle. You can do something else. There is always some creative solution to personal, financial, or otherwise problems. And the other thing you talked about there, and it's always struck me about you, is you talked about the importance of your circle a few times throughout that conversation. And I still remember when we met the first time, you had reached out to me on LinkedIn, just a cold call message. I'd never met you. And you said, hey, we're both accountants in real estate. We should get together for coffee or a beer. I'd love to pick your brain. And we met at Craft Brewery, I believe, in Olympic Village and had a great conversation. And I remember thinking, oh, I need to spend more time with this young guy. He's very bright, very capable, hard worker, uh, ticks all the boxes of someone you want in your circle. So how did you have, because you were very young when, when you reached out to me there, Vladia, how did you have the conviction to just fire out messages to people to say, hey, let's meet up. Let me grab you for a coffee 
or a beer. One, how many messages did you send? Because, (laughs) you know, when we think about the send 10 messages, seven say no, three say maybe, right? Or one says yes. So how many messages to people in the real estate industry were you sending out to on a weekly basis? How many meetings were you having? How many relationships were you striking out? And how can a young person who's listening to this take that networking on as part of their journey? Well, I have a couple of things on that, Glenn. So uh, our uh, first of all, the number is actually not as large as you'd think. So sure, I was proactive in terms of who I reach out to, but I'm not for wasting my time either. I just don't have enough of it. Of course. Um, so there was no hundreds and hundreds of messages trying to get to every real estate person I could imagine. I prefer instead of, you know, call it shotgun approach where you kind of blast and you hope that something happens. I'm more of a sniper type of approach. I can plan and craft my email for two, three hours at a time. But by the time it reaches you, I'm convinced that you would have taken the meeting with me. And so uh, specifically, our example is unique because uh, your name came up. I didn't reach out to you cold. It wasn't just because you were in the industry. It's because I was uh, looking for promotions and then as typical, you know, you work with recruiting agencies and a variety of recruiters and we, we have conversations. And I had this one recruiter that basically summed it up for me. And he said, you know, there is maybe three guys like you in the industry. And, you know, one of them is Clint. I said, great, I'm, I'm going to meet Clint. I, it was, you didn't know it, but it was going to happen. <laughs> 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 and I did not have an agenda with that either, other than, okay, if there are third party telling me that there's something that we share, that we have not just our industry, because that's not enough for me. I believe that we need to share something deeper and something where we can benefit each other. So why you and why did it matter back then? Because the any listener who is younger and who thinks that networking is about trying to meet the wealthiest, the most powerful person you can imagine because you want to mimic of who they are, I disagree. That's not who is most helpful to you. If you happen to have an opportunity to meet with, let's say today, Elon Musk is the wealthiest guy in the world. He is useless to you. He's a billionaire. He lives in a very different world than you do. He lives in a different world than I do. He's not that useful to me either. Who is the most useful person and who could I be more useful to? It's a two-way street. It's somebody that may be a touch bit ahead or a touch bit behind, but generally roughly in the same sphere. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a more practical example. You know, a billionaire will travel in their private jets, etc. You won't. (laughs) And so... Uh, How useful is that to you when you're trying to build a side hustle while having a job? No, that's not the most useful person in your life. For me, you were ahead of me in your career. You are a few years older. And I looked at that and I thought, okay, accounting background, you know, on the path towards CFO role, et cetera. How do we fight through the challenges we're about to face? Because at some point, the space at the top becomes smaller and in numbers and smaller and smaller. There's only so few of these roles in the large enough companies, et cetera, that we can take on. And the majority of people get stuck. You get to a particular level of your growth in your career. And we're not talking entrepreneurship at that time anyways, where I was looking into my promotions within a job environment, right? And it was useful. And I thought I could be of use to you when I reached out because I thought "Hmm, at some point we will be brushing shoulders in this industry. That's right. So 
if you can help me understand how to get some of the jobs that you've already had and I didn't yet, and I in turn get them, then 10 years from now, we will be in a position of decision-making capacity within our respective organizations where we can collaborate and share knowledge and help each other in a really meaningful way, be it from understanding how to fund projects to how to get the right financing or what are the challenges you have with your team, with your particular team, leadership questions, et cetera. And look at me now, I'm sitting here talking to you. This, this kind of proves the point, <laughs> you know, yeah. actually. <laughs> In the, so I want to really emphasize something Vladya said there because I share this a lot on the podcast, on spaces when I talk to young people. Everybody wants to look at multimillionaires or billionaires and say, oh, what are their habits right now? I have to copy Warren Buffett and read six hours a day, or I have to copy Charlie Munger and do X, Y, or Z. You don't need to copy what they're doing now. You need to copy what they did to get to where they are now. And the problem is everyone has a selective memory, right? So Bill Gates may say, well, I've, I read 50 books a year and that's why I'm successful. Well, Bill, was that what you were doing when you were 20? Or were you doing something different? Unless you can capture what they were doing on the journey, you're not going to be able to follow where they got to. If all you're doing is capturing where they are today, that is not really the habits that will get you to where they got. So I just really want to emphasize that for people. So Baladia, then the next time we meet was probably like a year later. And we meet for breakfast. And you mentioned that you're going to start running and I throw out something to you um, and you thought this, I'm pretty sure at the time you thought this guy's crazy. Can Let I me, tell that story? Yeah, why, don't, why don't you I, tell this story? My I, it's, friend? it's a story that's so near and dear to me and you. And I think it's epitomizes our relationship as well in some ways. And it's a story that I've shared with a lot of young people over the years. And so we have this breakfast and I, I, I decided I wanted to do a couple of half marathons because I was not a runner. In my mind space at that time, I knew that it was discomfort that would get me where I need to go. And I thought, well, gee, that's a good idea. Over breakfast, you throw it saying, you know what? I'm running too and I'll be running. I'll do a streak. I'll run every day. I say, Clint, for how long? So well, at least a year. That's crazy. That makes no sense at all. And by the way, this is pre-David Goggins books for me, right? And I'm thinking, this is nuts. Um, well, I mean, I don't know you that well yet, and I appreciate your desire to do something crazy, but you got to be realistic. And that's where I want to dial in is like being realistic with your life, being realistic with your goals and saying, you know, you're going to get sick at some point. You're going to get busy. Things, commitments are going to creep up. How are you? know, but I didn't feel like discouraging you at that time. And I just thought, eh, you know, here's another guy that I just can't believe he just told me that. And long and behold, it was the beginning of a 500 day streak. And the most, it, anybody who's never done even a, if you do a challenge and I encourage any listener who can run to attempt to do a 5k times 30, I, I, I bet that by the day seven, even if you're a decent runner, you're going to start feeling the pains you never knew you had. And so translating that into a 500 day as opposed to a quick 30 day is, is something the mind has a hard time really wrapping around what that entails. The reason why that story is shared is not to impress people with, hey, I have this friend who is absolutely impressive in, in every way possible from mindset to physical abilities to etc but it's to impress upon people who are willing to listen 
that when you set goals like that in life, it changes everything about how you approach them. Because you can't just go out on day one and blow out 10K at the fastest pace and not be able to show up tomorrow. If your goal is to run 300 days, 365 days, 500 days, whatever that is, and you must adjust your approach. It changes how you eat. It changes how you uh, budget your time. It changes how you, when you wake up and what kind of shoes you wear, what, how you're going to prepare for the weather. For example, in your case, it also meant getting a coach because you recognized that was an important piece on making sure you stick with that challenge, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's not about running. The reason why that story is so important is because it has nothing to do with running. It has everything to do with taking responsibility for your own life. And if you're going to think entrepreneurship, it's the same thing. Entrepreneurship and trying to make your you know, financial goals is just like that. It's a long game plan and you have to approach it that way. Yeah, I think the one of the things I loved about doing it is similar to a lot of things in life. It teaches you the value and the importance of consistency, right? So if you look at an example, I was talking to you this morning about social media and I've been growing reasonably well and now it's starting to go exponential. And so I have a lot of young people who I started with on on the platform and they haven't really had that much movement and they sort of look at it and say wow it's like crazy how you're blowing up now and getting the results but what they're missing is i've posted every day for nine months every single day i've published every single day i've interacted with other people on the platform. Every day I've taken your technique of sending targeted messages to people to build relationships to form groups. And so there's nothing in there that's overnight success. It's something that you build consistently day in, day out for long periods of time. And I think what I encourage a lot of young people to do is to use physical sports and physical challenges to teach yourself that you can do things Because then that mindset could lead to success in business and life. And why sport? Why sport early? So I'll throw out why, and I think you have your own reasons. For me, when you're young, you don't have the capital, right? So if I want to start a business, I may not have the capital. But if I can teach myself the skills, the attributes, the habits, the mindsets through physical exercise, then when I do have the capital, I know that I'll be successful because I've shown myself through sport that I can succeed. And one of my favorite parts about that, yeah, about a a year and a half it ended up being, was that you and I would run together once a week for the first X amount of time. And then at some point, we added Saturday mornings. So we were hitting, on average, throughout that year and a half, we were hitting about uh, I'd say one and a half days a week together running. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, we went from running 5K when we started to we were doing some 20K yeah. runs and going up into the trails. <laughs> and, you know, it got to the point where we were doing two and a half hour runs. And on those runs, we were having conversations like we are now, right? Hey, Veladja, if you leave your job and you start a business, what are your values going to be? What are your principles going to be? How are you going to build it? Who, where are you going to get the investment, right? And I think that was a really important year of our lives where we were doing that. 
but because we were both going through some major life decisions and we were able to use that running time to really think through what are my next steps? What am I going to do? So I think there's value in the relationships you can build doing it, the mindset that you create for yourself. You know, it started small because when I had that chat with you over breakfast, I was overweight. I had just started. And so that may have also played into you being like, there's no way this guy's going to run every day for one and a half years. And, you know, over the course of that, I probably lost 40 pounds and went from running, you know, two kilometers a day to doing an 80 kilometer or 50 mile ultra marathon at the end. So there was obviously a lot of progression along the way, but teaching yourself the skills to do that, you can do anything. And I think that's part of what David Goggins says is like, if I can run every single day, the distances he runs, like you can't hurt me. You can't stop me. And this is where, in my opinion, you get, you get the sports is not about sports per se. It's about building your own confidence. It's about believing in yourself. Yeah. And sports is the easiest, shortest path. That's all it is. So it's not about that. If, if you're not an athletic person, it's fine. It doesn't have to be sports. You can certainly do other things. You can do things like you have to put out value that you got to build yourself up. I have another example is when I was growing up, I, I was actually a boxer. Not a lot of people know that. I was part of a boxing club that produced a couple of champions, a really big like country champions, and even the, I think one world champion. And I had the same coach that cha- that, that that was uh, coaching those guys, and he was amazing. You know, it, it took everything that my dad had to get that coach to train me. The number one lesson from him was: I'll never put you in the ring to discourage you in any way or lose a fight. It's important to build you up. That's how you build a champion. And this is where this, this example comes in. We're talking about building yourself up. Now, you can build yourself up through reading, for example. We're talking about books. And if you take notes, if you start applying it, you can't just read for the sake of reading. You can't be action faking like that. You, know? you can't just be busy for the sake of busy and thinking you're being productive. You need to be doing things with your life that are building you up, building your confidence up. Because I can tell you that after all of our runs and after all of those you know, experiences, a lot of them were quite painful. I mean, you know, the, I, to this day, I still kind of sometimes I close my eyes when I remind myself of those runs. I remember us being on the seawall. It's so uh, misty and dark and wet and, and, and our headlamps are not really lighting up the ground anymore. And all I could see these like two dots and then another two dots, another two dots something really creepy looking at you and you don't know what that is and you recognize it's a family of raccoons. Oh, it, I remember, yeah. It sends like chills down your spine yeah. for a second because you didn't know what it was. It could have anything in the dark if something creeps up on you. I mean, these are like the nightmare. But the thing is, it builds you up because it says, look, you know what? I mean, if we could run through that, when the weather is nice, it's sunny and we're pounding out our little half marathon, it's, it's okay. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. And then you take that further and you say, well, if I could do that, then waking up at 5 a.m. because I'm working on my business because I need to put something out, it's really not that big of a deal. At least I'm not out there facing raccoons in the miserable weather, you know, over painful runs. You start interpreting events around you differently and, and more that interpretation serves you. So the let's change gears. Let's say you get to go back in time and talk to yourself when you're 20 and lay out a roadmap to become a millionaire by 30, right? What are your top four things that you're going to focus on for yourself 
let's both take a shot at this. You go first. What are your top four things that you're going to say, hey, if you do these things, you're going to succeed by 30? Well, first, I would correct the idea that you chase money. And what I mean by Mm. that is that if you start focusing, and this is why I did in my 20s, I too wanted to say, oh my God, I just want to become a millionaire because this would be fantastic. You know, I get this freedom, I can do whatever I want. And then you start focusing on all the things that give you the potential for making that a million. So what are those things? Those things are typically the easiest barriers to entry of anything. So uh, as in you, you get invited to some multi-level marketing scheme or some, you know, uh, why don't you become when you, you know, you, you just need to post some silly videos on YouTube. You're going to become a, a sensation, et cetera. Like no effort, low barriers to enter, et cetera. So correct that idea. That's wrong. It's, it's absolutely wrong and you're going to fail. And my message to myself or anybody else who's willing to listen, and I think it's applicable today as much as it was applicable back when I was in my 20s. It's the same thing that's going to work for the next, it worked for the last thousand years, it'll work for the next thousand. You want to make it, you've got to help other people by bringing them something they need. You've got to add value. That's the number one thing. You add value, people will show up and they'll pay you for it. So how do you add value? So, you know, so, but if you can say number one is you've got to find to add value. And and it's just like, well, I have, I don't have ideas. The second thing I want to correct ideas are free and there's a million of them. Mm. It's about execution. It's not about the ideas. Okay. So you're struggling with ideas. It's, it's actually super simple. Something that is right in front of you that is a little inconvenient or majorly annoying is your idea for the next business on how to make money. So what is that inconvenience? There's something every single day. I don't care who you are and what age you are. You don't have to be in your 20s. You could be in your 50s. And if you've always dreamt about going on your own and starting something and you're passing by on your way to work towards your job, something that inconveniences you, that's already an opportunity because you solve that problem, that inconvenience, you know, from I'm pretty sure whoever invented those paper cups for Starbucks that I'm seeing that you're enjoying right now, Clint, I mean, this that was somebody's inconvenience of saying, oh my God, I forgot my own mug or something like that, right? Wait, so it's not just stop drinking Starbucks and you'll be a millionaire. Okay, (laughs) just just had to check. Right. Well, that's the second one is you got to find a way to add value by focusing on inconveniencing and solving those problems for other people. You add value, people will pay you for it. Let Let me put it this way. Elon Musk did not become who he is today by stopping to drink your coffee yes you know you did not save the, the five dollars a month or whatever it is you know <laughs> you don't become the way he added massive value across a variety of different businesses from paypal to now tesla etc right so that that's the second the, the 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 third thing that i would i would say is look if it's hard it's good this is this is a bit of a um a mind twist for most people because when it's hard it's the time when we want to give up But the reality is, if something is easy and obvious, well, let me tell you, it's easy and obvious to everyone. And Mm. if it's easy and obvious to everyone, that means everybody's already in it. There is no profit in it. That means there's nothing left. So you don't want to be anything that's... So as you're looking at an idea and you're saying, oh my God, I don't know, this can't be really, this can't be done, etc. It's probably signs of something pretty good. If it's a true inconvenience and it needs some solving, then you could be that person. So I look at it like that. The, that stems in this one point. I'll kind of break it down into further sub points. You have to have control over whatever it is that you're doing if you want to become a millionaire, meaning you need to be in control 
uh, of your own destiny, but that means in your own company or your own consulting business or whatever that is, it's your mm-hmm. control. So nobody should be able to change the rules on you and instantly wipe you up. So you don't want to be in that situation. So if you're building something, it's important to maintain that level of control. I already mentioned that if it's hard, that means it's difficult to enter. So there's this barriers to entry. That's extremely important too, because if the barriers to entry are low, like multi-level marketing, yada, 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 you know, people who are trying to sell you some things. And if you sell it to somebody else in the pyramid scheme, you make some money, stay away from that as far as you can. Barriers to entry are important. What does that mean? That means that if you find something that requires a lot of capital, that's a major barrier to entry. Most people go, well, I don't have the money. That's good. That's not bad. Money will come. You will find the money if you're bringing true value because investors are looking for people who are going to solve world problems in some way uh, and deliver that value because the investors already know. You design that product, you bring it out, you're solving a bunch of issues, making people's lives more convenient. They will pay major dollars for it and there will be profits back to the investors for it. So the, the, the finding capital is not going to be an issue if you're very good at executing. So that barrier to entry of like large capital, it's actually a good thing. That means you could be in business for a very long time. So now hard is good. I love that line. But when do you have to recognize that hard is bad? When does hard is good become hard is bad? And what I mean there is sometimes people will persist with that idea. And at some point they need to call it. They need to quit. It was, it was a bad idea. Well, when, well, if when I may break it down, I think we can move from theoretical into more practical examples. Let's and that's it. a little bit easier to then really dissect it. So for example, yeah. let's say I was 20 right now and I had to do this all over again. What would I do? What would I do like tomorrow? Or what could I do? Knowing what I now know, what could I do tomorrow to just get me that much closer? You know what? I'd probably look into creating some form of a small product. So if you have pets, you could look into things that inconvenience you about your your pet. Um, it's either the, the collar is not the right way or something else. I could combine some features. If you have a car and there's something in your car and how you hang your iPhone or some other little feature and you're saying, okay, that's great. If you are looking at men's products like shaving creams and, you know, I've, I'll tell you my own personal example, just just the other day, you know, the shaving brush that, that I typically use, it just fell apart. So I'm looking at that, but it didn't fall apart in the way that I want to throw it out. It just, the brushes kind of came off and I'm saying, gee, there's an opportunity for for somebody to either design a device that can glue it back together or just produce the glue that could do that and advertise it as such. It's a niche product, et cetera. Or uh, produce kind of a little little toolkit that says, okay, this is the best, you know, this is the best combination of shaving, uh, you know, cream, razor, plus something. So you're combining products. What I'm saying is I wouldn't focus on inventing a brand new thing. I would focus on inventing on the margins of something that already exists and is reasonably proven. Then at the minute that I have a, a slew of a couple of ideas, which honestly, anybody who sits down and you just meditate on it, I mean, by meditate, I mean, just sit quietly and take your notepad and start drawing. I guarantee you within an hour, you're going to have so many ideas, you wouldn't know what to do with it. So it's not about the number of ideas. It's about validating those ideas. And this is where you're going with when does hard become useless, mm-hmm. meaning you're now persistent, but you're not producing any results. Well, first, let's dispel another myth that you get to decide whether something is useful or not. You don't. The market decides. The market decides whether they're willing to pay you for it or not. And if you think that somehow you are smarter than the market, (laughs) then give yourself a head shake and say, no, put it out there and see what the market says. So does that mean that, you know, Amazon FBA, for example, is extremely popular. It's been popular for years. 
And because of the pandemic, it's become even more popular. And plenty of brands were born through Amazon FBA. Now, it's not an ideal place because if you're talking about back, we're talking about that controlling your destiny, Amazon can change the rules and wipe you out. So it's not the greatest of businesses. It's probably not long term. But if you're in your 20s, what's your risk? You're going to learn how to sell a product. This is great. You're going to learn how to build a brand. Sure, it's a sub-brand towards it's on Amazon. It's going to look like Amazon, but you're building something. You're developing skills, and you can test it instantly. Well, the one of the things that I like now that I'm learning and getting more involved in is whether it's products, whether it's courses, whether it's books, is our very first guest said this, and I've been seeing it more and more and learning more and more. The traditional route is you build something, you market it, you sell it, you fulfill it. And often in the build, you've actually put in an order for 20,000 units, and now you're going to market and sell those. Where the current model's going, what we're able to do, Vladya, is we're actually able to sell it first, whether it's on Kickstarter, whether it's a campaign on Amazon, whether it's a pre-sale campaign on social media. We're able to market the product and say, does anyone want to buy this? And if we get enough interest, if we get enough orders, then we go out, hire the manufacturer, we build it, we sell it, right? right? So we're flipping the paradigm to sell first, ideate, market, sell, build and fulfill. So flipping that model on its head. And then what we talk about a lot on social media is a lot of people they want to just focus in right away. What you're saying with these products and what what we say with your writing is put a lot of noise out there. You're putting multiple campaigns, multiple products, and then look for the signal in that noise. What's resonating with the people that are out there? Because the market is going to tell you what they want you to sell them. And only the market. So you are inventing new products, yes, and you're immediately testing them against the market. And I'll circle back to you said how I reached out to you and networking, et cetera. Yeah. Again, this is where it gets useful because going back to if I had 20 and I'm starting this again, I would start working on products that are just on the margins. And I would try to reach out to people who have just done that. Meaning, who, how could I find a few people who have done a few, let's say I did want to go Amazon FBA. Why not? Then I would want to find, instead of trying to find my connection directly to Elon Musk, as I said, which is far too removed or somebody that's totally you know, decades ahead of me or multi, multi multi-million or billion dollars ahead of me, I'd be looking for somebody a lot closer, but it's just somebody who's just done what I want to do and has done well. And the the funny part about that is that they're willing to, uh, most people will be willing to help you. Most people will not see you as a competitor. So there's there's a couple of other kind of tangents that I want to go on because I think they're so important to any listener who is genuinely interested in saying, okay, I want to take actionable steps right now. And I'm listening to this podcast and I really want to do it. So how do I do this? Right? Uh, and my example of starting junk removal company back in 2012, I reached out to Brian Scudamore, who is the owner of the largest junk removal franchise uh, in the world. <laughs> and he granted me audience. We met <laughs> and we had a conversation. It was incredibly helpful. He gave me the recommendation of a book on branding, etc. And it gave, it was the pivotal moment where it went from being somewhat unprofitable to profitable ever since. And so you know, I even had a joke afterwards. People say, well, isn't he your competitor? I said, the minute he sees me as a competitor, we've made it. Okay. So my point being is that get some help from people who've just been there or know what they're doing, right? As much as you can start testing your product because the market is going to tell you what it is that you need. And the, the last tangent I'll do on this topic is 
about money because some people are going to then say, well, gee, good for you. And now you have money. So if you have to do it again, you're presuming that you have, you know, startup capital. So you must have some tens or whatever thousands of dollars to begin even the product because it still costs money. Right. And my answer to that is back to take stock of your reality. If your reality is you don't have a dollar to your, to, to yourself and, and you need to build that capital, then you need to build that capital. That's just your reality. Mm-hmm. How you go about it, that's on you. And I would say that making money in today's world, if you need that startup capital, has become a little bit easier because most people are now so focused on trying to generate remote work type of income where people are saying, oh my God, you know, I just need to find a way. I'm going to become a content creator or something else. I'm going to make money off of it. That's a, that's a reverse. You can become a content creator, but it's a long, long journey and you won't do it in time to launch your products. You just won't. You can't start a, a blog these days and within a month monetize it. You just can't do that. But I can tell you what you can do. You can come to my driveway and power wash and I'll pay you cash. Okay. And you can go across the neighborhood and you can help everybody out throughout the snow days and you know, you, they will pay even more in cash. The old ways of making money are plentiful because more and more people want that kind of help these days. It's just hard to find good help and good talent that just comes out and does even physical work. You can accumulate quite a, quite a small fortune to launch and experiment on your products because on a per hour basis, you'll do, you'll do reasonably well, right? So don't be afraid of the hard work. No. Yeah. For me, the, where I would focus in, and we've been talking a lot about it already through the conversation, which is not surprising because it's something that we both have always done or at least have always done since we've been adults. So, so number one, you have to own your own shit. We already talked about earlier in this conversation. No one handed Veladia a check. No one said, Hey, here's your, uh, here's your million dollars. Surprisingly, no one did that for me either. Uh, we both started reasonably no money when we started our journeys to wealth. And so number one, own it. Number two, you're your greatest investment. And I hope that's come across in this conversation is Veladia and I are addicted to learning, addicted to growing because we both know the more we learn, the more we grow, the farther that we're going to go. And I I know that sounded like Dr. Seuss and uh, that's because he's a genius. And the next one is that we have to focus on rare skills. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive a bit into this one with you, Veladia, because when we, too many people, they look at what's in demand and they say, I'm going to chase that in demand skill. The problem with in demand skills is arbitrage, right? If something's in demand today, it's not going to be in demand tomorrow. It's not going to be in demand in five years because everyone chases it and that drives down the price you'll get. But if you invest in rare skills, that never goes away. And rare skills are what provide people with value. So let's talk about what rare skills is, and then you can jump in on this one. I see rare skills as the intersection of multiple skills. So Veladia, you're an accountant. You're also an entrepreneur. You're also a public speaker. You're also a writer. You're also a real estate investor, a small business owner. And what you've done is you've taken all those skills and combined them all to make a person that is different and distinct from the average person. So now you can talk about financials, you can talk about real estate, you can talk about cryptocurrency. There's 20, 30 things that you have reasonably wide knowledge on. And I'd say there's probably four or five that you're much deeper than the average person you're able to combine all of that and provide an outlook that no one else can provide. 
right? So when you said, find those people that are like you, and the recruiter said, there's only two or three people that are like you in the city, it's because there's only two or three people who have that same view of building multiple skill sets, combining them, and then bringing them to the world in a different way than the average person. You bet. And, it, you know, it's interesting because it applies to both entrepreneurship and just getting a promotion in your job. Because, yes, I said you can power wash somebody's driveway and get some cash, and that's how you can get started. The other very obvious way of making money is get a job, right? So some of your listeners may not have a job, right? A hundred percent. And so, uh, but if you need money, that's, that's another way. So, and if you are in the job, back to that specialized skill set, th- these kind of skills pay you well in the job and in your entrepreneurship. You can do both. You do, it doesn't have to be either or. I mean, it, it's fascinating because you, you mentioned that. And I thought to myself, you know, my career growth when, when I was working was uniquely fast. And the question is why? And a lot of people, I mean, I got invited to speak to Simon Fraser students because of that, because uh, the alumni office recognized and was like, well, how did you do that? Maybe you can share that with students because they are looking after graduation, how to get a job, became a mentor for them various um, uh, MBA class and the master's of finance class, et cetera, afterwards as well. It's everybody has the same question. Well, how did you do it? What was that? And it's exactly what you just described, Clint. And I think that's what put us together in our first meeting is that you and I, we were thinking not just as accountants, because that's who we were by training. We just thought that accounting is a, is a tool in your tool belt. It's like a hammer doesn't mean that's the only tool I need to be able to do my work. The more tools I collect, the better I tend to, the more versatile I am and the more valuable I am. Uh, A case in point is that, unfortunately, and I'm pretty sure 99.99% of your listeners are going to agree, accountants typically are boring and they can't communicate very well. (laughs) And so when you hear... So accurate. (laughs) Right? You hear is like, here's us two, we're professional accountants talking, but I'm pretty sure that from our voices and our demeanors and anybody who meets us, they'll know that anything could be further from the truth. I am a fairly engaged person. I'm very comfortable on the stage in public speaking settings. I am anything but your typical accountant. And that's the point. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make is that the career growth and the reason why I was able to get some promotions and make more money before becoming an entrepreneur and investing that money was because I focused on getting the type of skills, like you said, that would not be typical of that, uh, of that role. So if an accountant is somebody that tends to focus on the numbers only, I wanted to be able to explain those numbers, articulate that really well. And I think the same thing applies for your entrepreneurship journey. If somebody wants to go from, you know, you're in your 20s and by your 30s, you want to become a millionaire. How do you do that? Well, I think that by even launching that little product, you're going to learn a lot of things you're missing. A good example would be to market, you need to understand psychology of people. Uh, by now, I've read more books than I care to count on psychology because I felt like it was the most important subject. Talk about irony, right? An accountant talking about psychology being the most important subject for me at that stage of my life because I launched another business. And now I'm thinking, I can't screw this up. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. launch a product the wrong way. So I guide my consultants. I don't lean on my sales team as saying, gee, you are the smarter ones. No, I am responsible. You see, like that's where the whole loop closes. I'm the business owner. It's my reputation. It's, it's my future. It's my current money. It's my future wealth. It's my kids' wealth. It, it's everything on the line. So do you really want to outsource that and say, I'm going to listen to this guy because he claims he's a sales expert? Hell no. Absolutely not a chance. So suddenly reading books takes a whole new meaning. I'm not reading 
for pleasure or displeasure or for just personal growth or anything. I'm reading because I'm digging deep. I need this shit. I need it now and I need to apply it tomorrow. And I don't have enough time, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll share a fun one with you because you did that by launching, you did that by launching a business. And I wrote something on this the other day. One of the ways I did that when I had no capital was through video games. And so this may sound odd to the average listener. How can you use a video game to teach yourself to become a millionaire? And the video game I'm talking about is World of Warcraft, massive multiplayer online game. And what I did, Vladio, was I said, I'm going to become a millionaire in the game, right? So most people are in there training to do battles and quests and raids. And I said, I'm going to make gold. I'll be the richest guy in my guild. People will take me on the raids because I'll buy everything we need and I'll be like, hey, here's potions and rations and whatever you need because I have money, right? right? And money gets the doors open and it actually, it works in the game just like it does in real life. But I had to teach myself every skill set we're talking about because I had to corner the auction house. I had to have monopolies on certain products. I had to reach out to farmers and negotiate bulk prices to buy their goods, to manufacture certain things that I would sell. I had to learn copywriting and marketing so that I could sell things in the chat. I could, I had to learn networking so I could DM people to sell them things or buy from them, right? So your parents may tell you video games are bad. They may not be right. If you use anything, anything, in the world, whether it's sport, whether it's video games, whether it's YouTube, if you use it with a specific and clear purpose, there can be value coming out of it. So you created the junk removal company, which later became a landscaping company, evolved over time. My route to learn that was through video game, partially because I had no capital. And I remember I was interviewed in a World of Warcraft Economics Hall of Fame. And they said, well, like, why? Why did you do this? And I said, because the skills that I'm teaching myself in the game will make me a millionaire in real life once I have the capital to start investing, right? right? Because I know how to do it. If I can do it here, I can do it there. So just teaching yourself that mindset and skills through a video game versus launching a small project. And, and you see how fun it is, is that you've just picked something that you would have done anyways, meaning you would have played that game regardless because you enjoyed it. It was yeah. something that was fun. And I think it's, um, you know, it's exactly what, what everybody should do when they're thinking about a business, meaning that it doesn't, yeah, as I said, hard is good, but I meant it in a way that it's hard for everybody to get in. It certainly helps if you have something um, that is close to your general interest and, and passions. In fact, this is where you're going to find your opportunities. If you're passionate about something and you're doing that as a hobby anyways, you're going to find something within that world that isn't perfect for you and you will be an expert to identify that inconvenience that could then lead to a product that you can then sell. So uh, if you're passionate, for example, about cycling and you and I have done some of that as well in our, in our lives or you know, back to our running examples, there will be very specific type of equipment that will cost you an absolute fortune to buy, but manufacturing it costs nothing. 
it was somebody who intersecting identified that as a need because that's something that they enjoy. That's something they did. And today social media is prolific. So there's a lot of social media. People are on it regardless. Why not take the view of saying, well, gee, I'm maybe I'm in my twenties. I'm still in school. Why not experiment with how you use your Twitter to better somebody else's life and therefore later have the option to monetize it as opposed to just meh, you know, for shits and giggles, I'm tweeting stuff because that's what we do, right? That, I think that's a mindset change. So if you're in your 20s, you're trying to get to a millionaire status um, as quickly as you can. And, and I bet that's another thing. I think that we totally overestimate what we can accomplish in one year. Most people go in as like, well, within a year, 12 months, I'll be a millionaire, et cetera. I mean, that, that is pretty hard. And I think that our brains are wired the wrong way to, to see as if that's possible. And yet, in the same stroke of luck as humans, we underestimate what you can do in 10. Mm-hmm. Let me be honest. And I, I don't mean that in, in any way outside of just to impress upon listeners that I have surpassed every imaginable goal I've ever had. And I feel like I'm just getting started. You know, this is the... And, and it took me 20 years, sure. But the first 10 were less eventful than the last 10, et cetera, right? And, but it's just... The goals that I used to set for myself, we blew past them a long time ago. And, you know, <laughs> that's just life. And it didn't happen in one year. That's my point. And I, the people that I know that haven't really gotten there, they lack that consistency. It's back to that 500 days of running. You got to stay with it. And if you can stay, if you're on the right path and you stay with it, the rewards are coming. You know, it's um, uh, the proverbial, uh, the old water pump, you know, where you, where you from a well, you know, you keep, you keep uh, pumping it, pumping it, nothing comes because you're still pumping just air and you're sucking up the water from the well up all the way up to the pump. But once it, once it gets there, the flood occurs, right? The water just gushes. And after that, it's maintaining is so easy. You never want to stop pumping, but you're just maintaining, right? And I kind of feel like that's the same thing with entrepreneurship. You, you may have quite a grind before it, before anything happens, but it's, it's not about your twenties. You don't need to do it in your twenties. You don't have to be in your twenties. You didn't miss the boat if you're in your forties or fifties. Uh, Ray Kroc, right? Uh, the man behind McDonald's as we know it. I mean, he was in his fifties, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and when he recognized that McDonald's brothers had something that they could not take and make it into the global empire that it became, right? And if you think that, oh, you know, what I do may be not as useful because I'm an accountant. Again, backwards thinking. It was the CFO who uh, advised Ray Kroc to start buying real estate. And today, if you think that McDonald's is, a, is anything but a real estate company, you need to do your research because it's a real estate company, not a burger company. They own so much real estate that the valuation of this company on real estate is so much bigger than anything else, Right. So you got to, you see my consistent message that if you want to make that, if you want to become successful financially, um, you need to start providing value. And what's interesting about that comment too, is that it's not just the financial success, but it's just personal growth and it's your family. It's going to be the same way. If you're willing to give, you are going to receive. Well, I think he, you know, you nailed it there. And part of what we're talking about is the financial, because that it's really what a lot of people are focused on in their life. But everything we're sharing about the consistency, about long-term versus short-term, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, whether it's financial, that's what's going to allow you to succeed. And I'm not surprised at all that you said something that matches up exactly with how I feel about my life. 
if you asked me, you know, did you ever think where you'd be today? The answer would be no. I never thought that I would live where I live, uh, have a net worth that I have, have achieved what I've achieved. And I feel, as you do, that I'm just getting started. It's not even close to where it's going to be because we've, I think part of it is, Volodya, we've developed the mindset to know what we're truly capable of. And even in thinking we know what we're truly capable of, we're not even scratching the surface of what we actually are capable of. And so I'm going to take us in a couple fun directions on this one. We're going to talk about purpose. We're going to talk about goal setting. And we'll also talk about the concept of 10x because I think there's value there. And that'll probably get us to the end of this. So a lot of people say, why do you think about 10xing your business, right? Why do you think about 10xing? You know, we talked about social media. If I'm on a certain social media, I don't think about how to get from 35,000 followers to 40,000. I think, how am I going to get from 35 to 350,000, right? And why do we think 10x? So when you think incrementally, which is how most humans think, then you're only going to look for incremental ways to get better. You're going to look for how do I go from reading 10 books a year to 11, so it's an improvement. It's a great improvement, but it's not going to move the needle. Yeah. When, when you think about how am I going to 10x what I'm doing, you have to fundamentally change your process. You have to change your inputs, the way you think, the way you approach it on a daily basis, what you outsource, what you insource, how you manage the process, right? So, yeah. so just now you might not 10x it, right? And that doesn't matter. What matters is that you're thinking about how to do it, because when you think that way, you are going to move into an exponential mindset versus an incremental mindset. And I think this is part of what you're talking about when you talk about 10 years versus one year, right? So one of the formulas I love to share with people is simply small, smart choices plus consistency plus time equals exponential results. And one of the best people I've ever seen for thinking this way is Jeff Bezos. When you read the Amazon letters, I went back and read 20 years of the letters, 17 years of the letters. And the way he would write was exponential thinking. He would say to the people in the letters, based on computing power, based on what we're providing today, based on Moore's law, where computer power is going in five years, we will be able to provide this much computing power right. to this many people. So we'll be able to 10x the number of people we're providing to at half the price. So our number one job is to just get more customers because it may not pay today, but five years from now, our margins will be 10x with the number of customers at half the price. Thinking like that, right? Totally. And the more we can think exponentially, the more we'll achieve in our lives, whether it's buying real estate, building a real estate development company. If we think small, if we think incremental, we're only ever going to improve incrementally. So that 10x, you're thinking, whether it's social media, whether it's your exercise, whether it's your business, whatever it is, think about how do I exponentially improve this? What are your thoughts on this? 
I like the concept of 10x, and I think uh, it, it kind of brings me back to uh, it, you know real estate, obviously, uh, just because Grant Cardone wrote that book 10x, uh, and and he is a real estate guy too, and uh, very different, I guess. the The thing it, about it to me is that I think you need to break the way you think. So if you can somehow amend your mind, so how do you change the way you think? I mean, that's that's the thing. So those kind of exercises of 10x, that's what forces you to break away from a typical thinking into something that's more useful to you. And you can do that both on 10x in terms of your output, or you can do it in reverse and saying, look, and I know I've just said that you probably overestimate what you can achieve in one year and you totally underestimate what you can do in 10 because the power of compounding tends to kick in later down the road, not immediately. So at the same time, I'm also advocating, you know, (laughs) imagine what you want in 10 years. Sit down with a notebook and write down, how could you accomplish that in six months? I guarantee you'll fail. Meaning that there is, if your dreams are big enough, in six months, it will be darn near impossible to actually get there. It's not the point of the exercise. So sure, you failed. So what? That's not the point. The point is, you'll change your thinking. For you to brainstorm and come up with methods on how you how to achieve something in six months or what you typically think should take you 10 years, you'll change the way you approach it. And even if you miss, you'll accomplish it in a lot sooner time frame than the 10 years you originally set out to. Maybe it'll take you two. Maybe you'll see things that you would have otherwise missed, right? That's how I kind of view the 10x and breaking away from typical thinking to be more useful to your own thinking, right? I. Uh, Nothing is, the constraints that we used to have in the world aren't really there because a lot of people say, well, I'm not good enough or I don't know this enough. Or, I'm not an expert in this field enough. That's another mind twist. Nobody is. Hello? Um, seriously, nobody is. That's my point. You, you are good enough if you were attempting to do it because if, if it's something that's already known and you're regurgitating something that everybody knows, two plus two equals four, that's not a valuable piece of information. The irony of life is that the experience you're seeking is right. You're going to get it right after you needed it. <laughs> you know, that's, so you break your mind patterns by thinking like the 10x that you uh, you said. I think it's very useful. So now let's go back to you mentioned 10-year goals. How far out in the horizon do you think in terms of goals? What distance? How how do you break it back to today? And what do you think the importance of goal setting in your life is, both personally, professionally, and financially? What's Veladia's method? I'd like to think that mine may be a bit more unique method than the vast majority. I know that goal setting are typically, you know, put something for a month, then every week, and then kind of stick with it, et cetera, right? I think uh, about life kind of from the very end till now. I imagine myself in my 90s. So the question people ask, why do you run? My answer is because I can. Uh, you know, and I, because I imagine myself in my 90s and I'm thinking, what are the things that I'm going to regret? And it sounds a bit morbid because you're kind of approaching towards the end of your life and you're thinking, oh, gee, what am I going to regret? I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to regret. I'm going to regret not spending time with my kid. I'm going to regret not going for that run in the beautiful summer weather. So suddenly the meaning of becoming wealthy, independent and being able to live the life on my terms is not just about today and some this you know how some people say, I want to become a millionaire because I want to buy this Ferrari or I want to buy this Lamborghini or whatever it is that you want. You know, those are just things. The things, the ultimate irony of the things is that you only want them because you can't have them today. As soon as you get to the level of wealth we can afford it, they lose a lot of that meaning and you won't want them anymore. 
I, I promise you that. And I really hope that every listener that is, is on their path and finally gets to the net worth they need to, in order to be able to afford those things, I, it, it disappears. That desire, it's like the weirdest thing. Yes, it may still be there when, if it happens very quickly and you got some wealth and you might pull the trigger and you might buy some of the luxury things. And then you slowly realize, oh, that's it? Really? That's all there is to it? That, that's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not lasting happiness, which is what we tend to chase, right? But if you set your goals into saying, look, in my 90s, I would love to be able to run a marathon. I mean, that's my goal. Oh boy, does it ever change how I'm going to live the next, <laughs> you know, like it's not the same as saying, hmm, when I get there, I'll see, right? So I don't necessarily break down my goals, especially now into anymore into my annual goals, which I used to do. And I used to have annual goals, financial goals. Everything was written out. It was very detailed. I would take me about eight hours to plan it out in my notepad and then detailed, detailed notes, basically putting in called smart goals, like, you know, it's going to be specific, measurable, attainable, et cetera, right? And then the time frame um, attached to it. I, I kind of went away from that. And I now look into more global goals. I look at it, I'm saying, okay, what do I want to do? And am I on the right path or not? So I look back from my 90s, what do I want to not regret, then I'm going to start focusing on it. If I'm not focusing on it, then I have, I, I call them like little red flags that come up, right? If things need to happen a particular way for me to achieve my long, long, long-term goals. So if I'm not exercising, that means I'm something is off, right? If I'm not spending time with my family, but I'm now spending time at my office and spending too much time on my business, then I know I might regret because I'm, I'm missing out on, on, on my kid's childhood. That's not good enough either. So I have, instead of having very specific goals like that, I have priorities that have now been carved out. And I now just monitor those priorities and move in the direction because I think it's, it's, it's perfect for what I'm trying to do. Perfect for me, for the life I want to live. So you're using your future self to tell your current self, what do you want to not regret 50 years from now? It's and, exactly and how like that. do you live that today? And I give you a very specific example of starting the real estate development business, right? Um, a lot of people said, well, was it hard? Because, you know, I came from the absolute peak of, of career, right? We both know what that means to get to a C-suite level job, how hard it is and how much money you make at that point in time to go from that to nothing. I mean, that's a pretty big jump. Yeah. And a lot of people go, is like, seriously, you gave up that for a like hope and a prayer trying to, to make sure your business actually works? Well, first of all, it's not a hope and a prayer. I'm pretty sure that it was going to work regardless. But more importantly, I looked at, you know, thought about my deathbed, so to speak. And, and I'm looking back and I'm saying, am I going to regret trying something even if it fails? Or am I going to regret not trying it? And it was an easier decision. It was one of the easiest decisions you could make. It just reframes everything. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's part of what's driving I probably do a little bit more the traditional route, although probably not traditional at all, because I, I think the majority of people don't actually set goals, nor do they set long-term plans. So for me, Valadia, you know, it started in 2018. I created a 10-year plan for myself to say, hey, where, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? And I did what you said. I, I looked at my life and said, what do I want to be doing across these five or six buckets, right? Right. And... We'll get to purpose, but for me, it was, I want to help, and I've changed it, I've 10X'd it, I want to help a billion people grow personally, professionally, and financially. And that will be done through writing, podcast, public speaking, 
coaching and consulting, and then I'll also have uh, real estate and private equity businesses. But that was a 10-year plan, right? I shaved some time off that. I won't get into exactly how much time got shaved off. But it was once it was on paper and I realized, oh, that's this is what I was meant to be doing on this earth. Like if I if I fast forward 50 years, I'm going to say that's what you should have been doing the whole time, right? right? You went this way because you recognized it was a tool in your tool belt and it helped you generate wealth. But that wasn't what you were put here to do. You were put here to do this, right? So we'll talk about purpose and how that drives us. So that was the purpose. Now it's creating the roadmap to go from, like you said, to go from the C-suite where you're making a certain amount of money and you could get addicted to it. Or you could say, well, wait, that money's a tool because I have to get here. And when I'm here, I think I'll financially be successful. Because if, I'm if like I'm, you. If, if I can jump in here, yeah. so it's such a cool little thing that that's that your I your listeners are going to get a, a mind twist from me on this one. Okay, yeah, cool. I think that you, you don't know. Uh, you will nobody ever knows uh, with 100 percent certainty what the hell they're doing with their lives. Yeah. Okay. So what I mean by that is that when we're young, we tend to be conditioned to think that we need to know what we're doing with our lives. Do you know what you're doing with your life? Where you're going to be? What are you going to do? Etc. And this is back to this goal setting that we need to somehow be able to map out our next 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, etc. But that also kind of, once you have that, you feel like there is this one linear path. When in reality, the world is, life is too complex. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen five years from now. The, the future is unknown. And think every single day, making hard decisions, in my opinion, is what drives us forward. Uh, it's recognizing opportunities that are in front of you. And the main reason why I walked away from doing the everyday planning to, you know, like uh, mapping out every day for the next 365 days, for the next 10 years, et cetera. And I went back and I said, no, no, I'm just going to focus on the global patterns, whether I am moving in the right direction or the wrong directions based on my priorities, right? Is precisely that I didn't want to be in the position where, you know, I've pigeonholed myself into this one area only. And like, I've defined my, you know, I've defined my progression about that. So what does that mean specifically for me? That also means that I walked away from the concept of saying, I need to have this much money. Okay. Mm. Because I, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm saying, I don't think it's as meaningful. Like, don't get me wrong. The money will come. If you do the right things, you know, it's, if you're producing value, the money will come and you'll continue growing. And so my concepts are your net worth should grow, not shrink. Right. So, but I don't need to have a specific number in my mind. I'm after something more valuable to me because number is just a number. What's more valuable to me is the freedom that comes from having a particular net worth that I, I'm not, I'm not forced to do things a particular way because somebody else tells me to. Right. So that's how I'm approaching that. But I don't think anybody knows what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. And you know what? This is one of those messages I would send back to myself in my twenties because back then I also think everybody was, telling you, oh, do you know what you're doing with your life? You're going to become an accountant. You're going to become a doctor. You're going to become this and that. But hey, nobody knows. And you don't need to know. You just need to move in the right direction. The right direction is don't be a lazy, you know, lazy ass doing nothing. Do something of value. Keep bringing value. And not only money will follow, but happiness too. Your fulfillment, you know, your personal life, your personal relationship. If you're not willing to help your significant other, and, and love them actively. I mean, you know, like not just saying, oh, I love you and I'm going to send you flowers once a year. You know, it's, uh, it's about being, being there for them emotionally in every possible way. It's about, it changes why you should be healthy. You know, this is, becomes more philosophical and pragmatic at the same time. Well, it, 
I think you at some point in your life can know what you're doing and your why. I'll challenge you on that one. I, th- I think when you're young, you may think you know, but it takes time and it takes persistence. It takes work. It takes doing it. And at some point, you will realize, and it could change over time, but you will say, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This, this is my why. Right. I think we're talking about two slightly different things, right? I'm going to try to rephrase it to you. Yeah. I'm hearing from you an identity. So who you are as a person and what you're meant to do because of that versus what I'm referring to is a list of things. I know what I'm doing with my life. I shall be a doctor and I'll do the following 10 steps. Do you know? I'm saying, look, uh, I, actually a better example would be yourself because you've just shared what your, what your vision is for uh, you yeah. know, 10, 10 years or less, right? And so you want to help a certain number of people and you've identified currently as I have these, these ways of helping these people and you've listed yes. four or five of them. I'm saying who you are, your identity as the guy who will do this, that doesn't change. I agree with you. What I disagree with or why I approach differently is having that list. I'm saying today that list is there. Oh, that'll, the that, that, will, that will evolve over time for sure. New opportunities and, will come up and you might oh, have of this. Course, you of course, of course. You know, all of a sudden you might have the YouTube opportunity. videos or, or, or yeah, absolutely. How so, you do this could be a million and one ways. Oh, for sure. Right? For sure. And, and the way I view that someone shared a very good way of talking about it the other day and the, it's to have a compass and not a map. So I know where I'm, I know where I, and, and I think yeah. this now we may be aligned is I know where I'm going. But I, but I don't have to There's be prescriptive. There's so many routes there. Right? Yeah. There's so many routes to get as long as I know my true north. And, and that's maybe where we're aligned. My true north is I want to help people grow. Right. How I'm going to get there, we'll figure that out along the way. Right now, I think I have ways. And, and, and I'll be careful. I, I'm not super prescriptive. Like in each of those categories, I do occasionally sit down and say, okay, here are the five categories. What am I doing this week or this month to move each of these five categories forward? And I do the work, right? But it's not prescriptive. It might be that I focus on one heavily for a month or two and leave the others aside. But every once in a while, I'll pull my list out and say, okay, these are the goals. What am I doing to get them? Because one of the keys that you've identified and that I focus on is if I have a date in my mind where I want to pull the trigger... Right. Part of it is having the net worth in the background to support me if I absolutely shit the bed. Yeah. And need to fall back on, you know, the nest egg and sell the house. How will I still keep the family alive? Right. And one of the things you realize is no matter how much money you have, you're always going to have a fear that you don't have enough money. So the number doesn't matter. Like I already have the number. I could probably pull the trigger today and retire and I'd be fine, but I'm scared. So I think, well, it has to be in the future. So I reduce that fear. That's not true. I know that. And that's part of why I've set a date in my mind and I communicate that date regularly because I'm not going to give myself an out. So I have the date. The second step is I don't want to hit that date and be at zero. I don't want to start the next chapter of my life because you and I have talked about this. I think I'm living over a hundred with science and breakthroughs and printing body parts. It's pretty crazy. We're going to last as long as we can figure out the brain and that'll come. The, so if I'm living that long, whatever the second chapter is, it's going to be very long. And so I don't want to hit, I don't want to start at zero. I want to have it in place by the time I get there. 
So that's why I'm as focused on that plan as I am so that when I get there, and I'm trying to think of it exponentially, Valadia, so that by the time I get there, it's fully running and I'm actually doing as well or better than I am today. And you know, it's, it's the other tangent to that is how valuable is money? <laughs> you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, United States, uh, half of all the uh, United States dollar has been printed in the last two years that's in circulation. Like, this is insane. And, and if you think about it from that perspective, that means that, yes, the real estate prices have gone up. A lot of people are feeling a lot wealthier today. When in reality, my personal opinion is nobody got wealthier, just those who had it didn't lose it. And it was, you know, tied in properties, but the, the inflation is kind of carving their piece out. Where am I going with this is that when you're thinking about a number, a number today is not the same thing as the number in the future. And so, and the number today could disappear. You've seen what's happening in the world, events, wars, civil wars, all kinds of things happen, market cycles, global cycles. Uh, Ray Dalio had this fantastic book that came out in November. I just finished that you know, the new world order, um, changing world order. That stuff is, is fascinating. Why? Because in my mind, the only thing that's truly of value is what's happening in my brain. Meaning that there are, you know, there are so many examples of people going from wealth to nothing, back to wealth, starting from scratch and making it even bigger over and over again. And it's just, you look at that and you're saying, okay, what does that mean for me? And this is where I meant is like, if I look at a 90 plus year, you know, living, so you're living past 90, you know, and you're, you're now in your 90s and you're looking back, what are the things you're going to regret? I think the biggest, you know, obviously the biggest regret is not spending time with your family when they're young, et cetera. That could, that, that's typically what most people regret from what I've read. So I don't want to have that. I want to have young freedom as opposed to old freedom. I don't want to work till, you know, I'm retired at 65 and I don't have the energy to do anything, right? Uh, I don't want to be that, that lifestyle. I want to have it now as opposed to way into the future. But then the other part to it is that in the future, even if you have a certain like financial wealth, it could be wiped out. And imagine that happened at the worst possible time when you're already retired and life is supposed to be this unbelievably comfortable existence. And yet it's not because now you don't have your money for whatever reason, because the mm. world conspired to give you a bit of bad luck that way, right? Then what do you have? And this is where I think some of the skills and the things we're discussing on this podcast too, I think they will last. That's, that's the stuff that lasts because if you can deliver value to people, that value can be so many different things, but just knowledge on how to do, on how to bring a new product to the market or how to solve somebody's problems or how to educate people or how to plug in from psychology perspective into your marketing, et cetera. That is uh, an opportunity to earn yourself a very fast, very efficient living. And uh, well, let me give you an example. I don't know how much Elon Musk charges for his appearance uh, to do a speaking engagement. It could be a zero because, let's face it, he probably has more than he ever needed or wanted yeah, in life. it's probably not zero. But if it's not a zero and if he wanted to put a real value to it, even if he's in his 90s, to get him to speak and share his knowledge, given what he's accomplished in life, will probably give him a fortune overnight. Yeah. So if he's wiped out, do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Like this is where instead of like the goal setting over a long term is beneficial over the short term and the long term and any time in between. Because if you are a person that delivers that kind of value, that has delivered that kind of value, if you are that type of person, I want to hear from Clint because he ran 500 days straight, minimum three kilometers in between running ultra marathons and then the next day instead of vegetating like the rest of us would he had to run again because the streak didn't stop i want to hear from that guy why 
because that has value. You're bringing value to the world. Now, if I want to hear that, am I willing to pay for it? You betcha. This is my point. So you accomplish certain things in life. You build a certain following. You create um, a, you know, a following on the podcast and the, and the Twitter accounts and everything else that's currently in existence. And in the future, new platforms, new ideas, etc. That is not that does not stop or or stop giving you value and the world giving value, even though the world changes, because you can always replug in and there will be a massive population that's really willing to listen. Well, I guess that that raises a key, and maybe this is where we finish off, brother. Is I think we're both aligned here in that I'm never stopping. Right, everything we've talked about on this podcast that we would go back and tell ourselves what to do as 20-year-olds, we are doing now, right? If anything, it's going to accelerate. When I'm not working a day job, I'm going to have two to three conversations a week with authors of books. So I'm going to read 100 to 150 books a year and talk to authors, understand how they're thinking, what they're writing, how it can make us better, sharing that with the world. I'm going to continue to evolve my toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that I share with people, it's this, and this is still here. This is never going to leave me. If, and this is from, I've realized in hindsight, it's somewhat from the man you mentioned a few minutes ago, Ray Dalio. He has four points. I just break it down to three because it's simpler. Anything we want in life. Number one, know what you want. Number two, understand what it takes. Number three, do the work day in, day out. Everything you and I have been talking about in this conversation does boil down to that, right? We use sports or we use video games or we use other means to tell ourselves that we can learn to do something consistently day in, day out. You talked about finding someone who's just a bit ahead of you on the road and learning from them, understanding how they did it. You can read books. We talked about that. You can go on Google. There's always a way to find out how to do something. All the information is available. Ask people. Call Volodya. Call me. We'll talk about where you can find him. You already know where you can find me. Find someone who's done what you want. Get a roadmap. A crap map is better than no map. And then the first one is you just have to figure out what you We spent a lot of time talking about being a millionaire, but you also may want to figure out how do I want to be a better person mentally? How do I want to improve my mindset? How do I want to become more resilient? How do I want to start a family? How do I want to be a better dad, a better husband? Whatever you want, figure it out. Figure out how to get it. Ray breaks that into two steps. Understand the obstacles in your way and how to overcome them. Just figure out how to do it. Number three is do it, right? And you you Take action. And you know, we we were talking about money specifically. I keep circling back and say, you know, uh, please, uh, Randy listener who is hearing me, take this message to heart. If I had to highlight one thing is do not trade your body parts for money. And what I mean by that is sometimes you may feel like these type of conversations lead you to believe that it's all about this insane amount of work and therefore you should kind of work, you know, 18 hour days for 365 days in a row because you heard that Clint was running 500 days straight, etc. That's not the message there. It's actually quite the reverse. If you're trading your health for a few dollars, it's probably not worth it because in the long term, you'll regret it. You need to find another way back to that exponential growth, back to the smarter way of, of delivering that value, et cetera. And the second part, I totally echo with you. You can never stop. So you've got your 100 million net worth. So you got your billion dollar net worth. Then what? If you stop, then what? That stagnation is depressing. 
Yeah, we're not wi- we as humans, we're not wired to be that way. Historically, it's just not in our DNA. What are we? We're wired to accomplish things. We're born to do stuff. That's the minute you recognize that it's somewhat liberating. Yes, there will be times when you'll have very difficult time. You'll work really, really hard and you'll be tired and you'll need a time off. Time off is not a permanent stop. And you should take it and you deserve it. And you should take vacations. You should enjoy your life, et cetera, time with your family. But a complete stop, like most people dream about retirement and say, I'm going to do nothing. Well, binge watching Netflix or whatever else that's programming your mind in the most toxic way possible, right? It's not, that's not what's going to bring you happiness. Happiness does not come from that. The ultimate irony of happiness is that it typically comes from struggle, from something difficult, from discomfort, not from comfort. So you can't stop. It's not about the number. By the time you hit your number, you'll, you'll have to do things. You can utilize that number to, your, to better yourself even further, but you will do things. You need to have your eye uh, on the ball as to, you know, yes, back to my, my example of like, you're in your 90s. What do you want? <laughs> you know? what do you, how are you going to live so that you yeah. don't have regrets when you're 90 and you're on your deathbed? The Balaja, we, we sent each other a bunch of notes before we had this conversation, things we wanted to cover, areas we wanted to hit. Are there any areas that we didn't dive into that you want to you um, want to touch on? I think you mentioned family, and I thought that's really important because if I'm breaking down my priority list, the family is very all the way at the top. It's family, health, business, right? That's the order. It's yeah. never in, it does not uh, change. <laughs> So I'm, I'm not going to put business ahead of family. That's the idea. The business is there to generate the wealth. The wealth is there to support the first two. It's the family and health, right? Yeah. And so it's the freedom that it offers, right? And so there, there are probably in your 20s, there's sometimes there's this thinking and the fear that, you know, having a family that somehow successful people are, uh, you know, these days is so expensive to live. Very, everything is so difficult to afford, et cetera. But the kind of joy that a child brings into your life, especially, you know, like when they start interacting with you and smiling and, you know, bringing you that kiss or a hug. You know, I've never experienced anything like that, not with financial success, not with business success, not in any other way. What I'm trying to say with that is that I know the podcast is is focused on this particular conversation is focused on us showing some valuable uh, tips on how to become wealthy, et cetera. But life is so much more than that. That's where I want to end up. I'm just going to say that it's about a variety of different buckets in your life that you need to fill each one of them. You can't let, you can't drop one at the expense of the other. You can't sacrifice your health for a few bucks. You can't say, I'm, I'm not going to have a family. I'm not going to have a significant other because I'm too busy building a business. No, you need to work on all of them. And all of them are extremely and equally important. You need itself fill it. It's a circle and it's a self-feeding circle. And I think that truly a fulfilled life, an examined fulfilled life, involves all the areas of life, not just this one little niche. I'm glad you highlighted that. And it's fun. As you said it, you know, I look out, I look out the window and I see my son in the yard with my dog and the other one was dad dancing in the kitchen. Uh, we're in the backyard and I look back at the house. It's got a separate little office. So we look out the window and see him doing that. And you realize like the best thing I will ever do in my life is or have done or will do is creating these two boys, right? And nothing I ever do will be better than that. And the one of it's one of the reasons on the podcast, sometimes we talk financial, you know, it's probably the topic that we actually go into the least. But when you think about it, to be operating at your best, mental, financial, spiritual, physical, you need all of the paradigms working 
to be truly wealthy. And so when you ignore one to the benefit of the other, let's say you detriment one to the benefit of the other, you won't get where you should be. And you won't truly be wealthy unless you're ticking all of those boxes. So I'm glad you said that. I appreciate it. Where can people find you, Valadia? Uh, well, I do have a Twitter, although it's nowhere near as uh, useful as yours. And <laughs> Volodya Gusek, right? Uh, that's my handle. And uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So anybody who's willing to reach out, I put more content on LinkedIn. I write for uh, RENX, uh, which is a um, RENX um, is a, a platform for real estate uh, news exchange, which is Canadian based and uh, I write articles about real estate. Excellent. Thanks for joining me today. It was a fun conversation. It reminded me of going out for our runs and uh, it's good to do it. I look forward to actually getting back out on some runs with you, brother. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Clint. Thank you for joining us on The Pursuit of Learning. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and head over to our website, thepursuitoflearning.com, where you will find our show notes, transcripts, and more. If you like what you see, sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, your host in learning, Clint Murphy. Clint Murphy.